0: Sound off for Chesterfield. Chesterfield, first with premium quality and best for you. Chesterfield brings you dragmen. Ladies and gentlemen, the story you are about to hear is true. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. You're a detective sergeant. You're assigned a homicide detail. A man has been shot and critically wounded. There's no trace of the suspect. Your job, find him. Here is Chesterfield's record with smokers, and important to you. No adverse effects to the nose, throat, and sinuses from smoking Chesterfield. That's the report of a doctor who has been examining a group of Chesterfield smokers for a full year and two months as a part of a program supervised by a responsible independent research laboratory. Don't you want to try a cigarette with a record like this? Chesterfield. First with premium quality. Chesterfield. First choice of young America. And that's from a survey made in 274 colleges and universities. Try Chesterfield's today. Chesterfield, regular or king-size. They're much milder and best for you. Dragnet, the documented drama of an actual crime. For the next 30 minutes, in cooperation with the Los Angeles Police Department, you will travel step by step on the side of the law through an actual case transcribed from official police files. From beginning to end... From Crime to Punishment, Dragnet is the story of your police force in action.
1: It was Sunday, April 26th. It was raining in Los Angeles. We were working the night watch out of homicide detail. My partner's Frank Smith. The boss is Captain Lorman. My name's Friday. I was on my way back to the office, and it was 11.44 p.m. when I got to room 42. Homicide. Hi. Hi. Anybody call? Yeah, Lopey Carl wants to know if he left these overshoes. No, I didn't see him. It's quit raining anyway. What are you doing there? Just a minute, Joe. What's the scale for? The needle's bent a little. And what are you doing? Here, weighing my stuff. You're what? Weighing my stuff. Oh, yeah. I guess everybody ought to know what his stuff weighs, huh? Yeah. Let's see. I my gun. Better take the bullets out first. What are you doing that for? them separate, Joe. Keep track. Yeah, that's right. Ah, the bullets. Uh huh. Handcuffs. Frank, did anybody ever ask you about all this? And my bullet clip. Look, I'm a member of the club here, too. What's this all about? Pencils. Four? Yeah, press kind of hard. The other stuff my wallet. Change. Geez. Boy, no wonder my feet kill me. What? Six pounds, two and a half ounces. That's what I carry, Joe. Work a night's got a flashlight, too. That's good for another pound. You figure that's what makes your feet hurt, huh? Sure. Uh-huh, yeah. Six pounds, two ounces. How much do you weigh, Frank? Any calls? Come on, how much? Joe, I get that all day from Fay. Never thought I'd get it from you. It's yeah, a hot shot. I'll get it. What do you got? Shooting on East Berendo. p.m. We swung out of the city hall garage and headed south on Main Street. The streets were still wet after the rain. Code three, red light and siren. And even with that, driving a fast car is no picnic. You can be wrong at every corner. Big buildings to block off the sound of your siren. Cars to shield the red light from oncoming motorists. It's no fun. There'd been a shooting and we had to get there. As Frank and I swung around the last streetcar on Main Street and picked up Berendo... We heard the police radio operator dispatching ambulance, G13, to the address we were headed for. We didn't know what direction the ambulance would come from, so for the next few blocks we drove with added caution, knowing that our siren would keep us from hearing theirs. Five blocks ahead, through the mist, we could see the red lights of a police car parked at the curb. A radio car in the area had gotten the call and answered it immediately. It was 11.52 p.m. when we pulled up in front of 1981 East Berendo. The large house was dark two neighborhood women stood in the driveway and directed us to the back of the house where we found the officers from unit 1A6. We checked with them and got the information that they'd come up with. They suggested that they canvass the immediate area for any information on the assailant. Frank and I went in through the back door of the house. The victim lay on the floor. He was unconscious and bleeding profusely. His head was held in the lap of another man.
2: Are you the doctor?
1: No, sir. We're police officers. The ambulance is on the way here. If I could just stop the bleeding, it's his chest. Do you know who did this? No. Has he been conscious at all since you've been here? Just for a second. Did he say anything? Well, I heard
2: the shot and came right over. He was laying here on the floor, right here. Poor guy. Yes,
1: sir. Did he say anything?
2: Help me. That's all he said. Help me. I didn't know what to do. I got this towel from the sink and tried to stop the bleeding. This and my handkerchief, that's all I had. Can't do much, but I had to try. I had to keep pressing. That's all I could think of. Keep pressing. Try to stop it.
1: Yes, sir. Do you feel all right, sir?
2: Oh, yes, yes, I'm all right. Got to help him.
1: Here, let me get in there and take care of that. All right, come on, sir. Can get under.
2: Okay, you got it, Joe. All right. Yes,
1: come on, sir. Get up. That's uh, all right. You'll handle this.
2: The excitement can't seem to get my breath. Something we can get for you? Oh, I'll be all right. I think
1: I'll get a drink of water. I'd rather you wouldn't touch that glass, sir.
2: Huh? Oh, yeah. Fingerprints. Well, I can wait. Oh, say, I did touch a towel. Hope it didn't hurt anything. Didn't mean to.
1: No, sir. I don't think so.
2: What's your name? Paul West. I live right next door, right across the driveway, Gray House.
1: Uh Wonder if you could tell us what happened.
2: Sure, I want to help all I can. I live right next door, and I was the first one here. Anything I can do, I want to help. Yes, sir. I've known Charlie for, oh, I guess it's maybe 40 years. Long
1: time. Charlie, that's the man's name here? Yes, Charles Stahl. How you doing, Frank? That's pretty bad. I don't know. Would you tell us what happened here? Well, it was right
2: after Charlie left my place. That's when I heard the noise. What noise, West? I was out on my porch putting out the cans, getting the boxer ready, when I heard the noise. First off, I thought Charlie was doing the same thing, getting the cans ready. Well, what kind of a noise? I like he dropped the box. I know now that wasn't it. Uh, Joe, just a minute, boys. Yeah, I think he's coming around. Is he coming too? Are you going to say anything? Who shot him? All right, just a minute.
1: What's his name again? Stahl. Mr. Stahl. Mr. Stahl.
2: Maybe you talk to me. He knows me.
1: We're friends. Let me talk no, to him. wait right there, will you? Wait. I just wanted to help. All right, stay right there. Uh, Mr. Stahl, we want to help you. Can you tell us who shot you? Hey, what's he saying? Is he giving you the name? Hold it, Wes. Just a minute. How about it, Frank? He's dead. Did he say anything? Yeah. Not much help. Asked me not to shoot him again. It was a couple of minutes before midnight when Charles Stahl died in Frank's arms. According to the next door neighbor, Paul West, the victim was 55 years old. He was not married and he lived in the big house on Berendo by himself. The ambulance crew returned to Georgia Street Receiving Hospital after making out a DOA report and the coroner's office was asked to pick up the body. 12 minutes later, coroner's deputies Maxwell and Martinez arrived. Before the murdered man's body was removed, the crew from the crime lab photographed the scene and Frank and I signed the property receipt for the money and the personal effects found on the body. We asked the crime lab to check a 32 caliber Smith & Wesson revolver found on the floor under the kitchen stove. There was one empty cartridge in the cylinder. We put in a call to gun records, but we found nothing on the gun. A call to R&I on the victim of the shooting turned up nothing. Latent fingerprints found nothing on the murder weapon. The crime lab crew found no footprints in the ground near the house, but they did find several marks of tire tracks and one good impression left in the moist dirt in the alley behind the house. A plaster cast was made of the imprint, and it was returned to the office to be booked as evidence. We checked with the officers in Unit 1A6, but they said that in canvassing the neighborhood, they'd been unable to come up with any new leads. 12.21 a.m., we checked back into the house, and we talked to the neighbor, Paul West. What kind of a job did Stahl have?
2: Owned a print shop, Stall Press, over on the east side. Was he in business by himself? What do you mean?
1: Well, did he have any partners?
2: No, Charlie owned it right out. Had the pink slip, you might say. Mm-hmm. Can you give us the address? Sure. Biggest print shop on the east side. Printed just about everything. Posters, display cards, things like that. He gave me some cards last Christmas. Here, take a look. That's my name. Embossed. Yes, sir. Did it himself. Mm-hmm. That's very nice, sir. Uh, can I have that back, please? Oh, sure. Here Embossed. Anybody in the
1: shop with him? Any employees?
2: Well, there's the Becker kids, Pete and Alvin. They work in the shop, do they? Yeah, I've been with him. I guess it's been about five years. How's he get along with them, would you know? Fine. I never heard about any trouble. I've been kind of friends with the family. Charlie was pretty fond of him.
1: Did he have any personal enemies, maybe because of the business? No, not that I know of. Uh huh. How long do you say you've known Stahl? Been
2: about 40 years. We grew up together. I see. His father and mine built these houses at the same time. Charlie and I went to school together. Belonged the same club. We were soldiers together, served in the 146th Field Artillery in the War.
1: Was that the last war, sir?
2: Oh, no, the big one. First World War. Oh, I see. You. Came back, and we lived right here, side to side, all this time. We've been friends, Charlie and me, good friends. You've got to catch a person that did this, you've got to get him.
1: You said earlier that Stahl had been over to your house tonight. Yes, that's right. Did he have any special reason for the visit? Well,
2: he didn't need a reason. Charlie was always welcome, always. Well, yes, sir, we understand. Of course, tonight's Sunday, we had a game. Sir? Bridge. Always play bridge on Sunday night. Never miss. Well, what time did he get to your house? Same time as always, right after supper.
3: What time's that, sir?
2: Right after, 7.30. We were just finishing supper when he came in. Charlie sat down, and had dessert and coffee with us. Mm-hmm. Rice pudding with raisins. Charlie had two dishes. Then we started to play bridge. Oh, I see. Now, who else was there? You mean the game? Yeah. Oh, just Rose and Paula. Rose, my wife, and Paula's my daughter. Anything unusual happened tonight? Uh, just once. Yeah? What was that? Well... Bid a grand slam in spades and made it, even with rows, seven spades. Well, that's not exactly what we mean, Wes. Eh, pretty unusual. Yes, sir, but did anything happen with Stahl? Sure. He almost hit the ceiling when we made it.
1: Got pretty mad, did he?
2: Sure. Since we've been playing, most he ever did was make a little slam. Mm-hmm. He went right home after that. I guess that's when he went out to empty the cans. Anyway, that's when I heard the noise. That was the shot, sir. It must have been. I didn't know it at the time, but
1: I guess that's what it was. What did you do after you heard the shot?
2: Well, now at the time, I didn't know what it was. I thought maybe Charlie had fallen and hurt himself. Mm-hmm. I looked over at his place, but there wasn't any lights on. I went out the curb with a box of cans. Came back, and I didn't see Charlie, so I walked over. I see. I called to him, asked if he was all right. Didn't get no answer, so I came in. found him right on the floor, where he was when you came in.
1: You're the one who put in the call, is that right? Yeah,
2: I called the operator and told her to get an ambulance right over that Charlie had been shot. Told her to send a policeman.
1: Now, what time was it when Stahl left your house?
2: You oh, remember? it must have been about 11.15 or so. Earlier than usual, we always play almost to midnight. I guess Charlie got miffed about the grand slam I made, and then Paula kidded him about the woman. What woman is that? Oh, it wasn't anything. I went out and looked. Nobody there. Sir? A couple of times, Charlie thought he heard a woman coughing outside the window by his house. I went over to the window and looked out there, but wasn't anybody there. Well, did you hear this coughing? No, not really. After Charlie started talking about it, I thought I did, but when I went out to look, there wasn't anybody there.
1: His imagination, that's all. He was mad because of the slam. Well, did you hear anything at all when you were out in back? Huh? Well, when you went into Stahl's house, did you hear anybody around? A car, maybe? Something like that? No, not a soul. Now, well, Wes, could somebody have gone out the front of the house when you came in the back? Wouldn't seem it could be. I'd have heard him if they did. Well, then you'd say that whoever shot Stahl wasn't in the house when you
2: went in, is that it? Pretty sure about that. Of course, they might have left before I went in. Sir? Well, I'd already took the, hands out the front after I heard the noise, there's anybody in the house, they could have gotten out then.
1: But you didn't see anybody, did you?
2: No, nobody at
1: all. Do you know if Stahl has any relatives in Los Angeles? No. He hasn't, huh?
2: Hasn't got any anyplace, none at all. Always kind of worried him. So why is that? Well, he used to say he didn't have any folks to leave his things to. The house, print shop. Mm-hmm. He made a will, though. All legal with a seal and all. Official. He used to talk to me about it. I see. You know who the beneficiary was, would you? Not now. What? Well, I knew who it was, but... He said he was going to change it. Said he was going to put a new name on. What did he say, whose?
1: Nope. Just said I'd be surprised. We looked through the victim's desk for the will. In one of the bottom drawers, we found a locked tin box. In a box of paper clips, we found a key that fit. In the top liner of the box, there was a purple heart ribbon and an American victory medal from the First World War. In the bottom of the box, there were several government bonds and the will. In it... He left the house and the rest of his possessions to a Mrs. Margaret Becker. The print shop and the business he left to Mrs. Becker's sons, Peter and Alvin. The will was dated three years previously. On a separate piece of paper, we found an address for a Mrs. Margaret Becker, the Lone Star Motel on Sepulveda Boulevard. 12.40 a.m., we affixed the public administrator's seal, which the coroner's deputy had left with us, to the door of the victim's house. We talked with the wife and daughter of the neighbor, Paul West. They confirmed the story he'd given us. On the way to talk to the Becker woman, we stopped and called the office. They checked the name through R&I, but they came up with no identification. We called Sergeant J. Allen at the crime lab, and he told us that the tire marks found in the rear of the victim's house were made by three B.F. Goodrich tires and one truck tire. He said that the cast they'd made was of the truck tire, as it was the only one they could lift, and that it was made by the left front wheel. There was a car parked in front of the manager's cottage. The registration listed Margaret Becker as the owner. Legal the same. We checked it. Older's called. Yeah. Tires don't match. Well, nice try. Yeah. Let's go. I get it. Late? Yeah. 1.15? Hmm. Probably asleep.
4: What's the matter? Can't you read? Sign says no vacancy. That means full up. NO, that means no. Waken somebody at this hour? Yes, ma'am. And don't ask me if I know someplace where you can stay because I don't. Good night. Just a
1: minute, Miss Becker.
4: How do you know my name?
1: Police officers.
4: What do you want around here? I run a clean place, no trouble. License all paid up, nothing wrong. We'd like to
1: talk. What about? You know a man named Charles Stahl?
4: What are you asking that for? We'd like to know. And I want to know why you're asking. What's this all about? Anything wrong with Charlie? That why you're out here? Yes, ma'am. What's wrong?
1: it's pretty serious?
4: Go ahead, you can tell me.
1: Well, he's dead, Miss Becker. Come in. Thank you. Oh. What's the matter, Margaret? Who are these
3: fellas? Who are you? What are you doing here?
4: They're policemen.
3: Well, we don't need you. We got the whole thing cleaned up. We took care of it ourselves. Nobody sent for you. We took care of him.
4: No, Daddy. They're here about Charles.
3: Charlie stole him? Yes, yeah, sir. That's right. Charlie here? Well, where is
4: he? He's not here, Daddy. Something's happened to him. What? He's dead.
3: Dead? Charlie? Yes. Well, how did it happen? An accident? No, sir. Oh, poor Charlie Stahl. He's a nice boy. Too bad I thought you would here about the fellow number eight, the loud one. What's that, sir?
4: A man from Texas. Came in tonight pretty drunk. We had to take him in. Daddy put him to bed. He was pretty drunk. Heavy, too. That's what he thought you were out here for.
3: Couldn't even get out of his car. Margaret had the pocket for him. Loud, you know, real drunk. Wore his pants inside his
1: boots.
4: What was it you wanted to see me about?
1: Well, a few questions we'd like to ask you.
4: About Charles?
1: Yes, ma'am. When was the last time you saw him?
4: Must have been a couple of weeks ago.
1: I saw him last week, uh, April
3: 22nd, went fishing down at the pier. Miss Becker, what was your relationship with Stahl?
4: Good friends, that's all. We knew each other almost all our lives. I used to live next door to him. Went through school together.
3: I always thought they were going to get married. Charlie was a good boy. You see much of him lately?
4: Mm, no, not too much. I've been busy here with Daddy, and Charlie's had other things to do.
3: Move next door to him on December 14th. Exactly 42 years ago, come with him. You know if he had any enemies, ma'am?
4: No, can't think of anyone who didn't like Charlie.
1: Didn't catch anything at the pier, bad bait. You've been home all evening, have you?
4: Yeah, why'd you ask that?
1: Well, it's just routine.
4: You think I had something to do with it, that it?
1: No, ma'am, we
3: don't. Pinheads, that's what you need. I beg your pardon, sir? Pinhead anchovies, that's what you need for pier fishing.
4: You yeah. say it's routine, but I don't like you coming in here, waking us up with all these questions. We've had a bad night, that drunk coming in here. We've been on the go ever since then.
3: Two years ago we used to be able to get a lot of pinheads. Not anymore.
4: You want to make any accusations? You talk to Paul West. You just talk to him. Try your routine questions there. Paul West? Yeah, Charlie's neighbor. He's never liked Charlie, never. Anyone hurt Charlie? It was Paul.
1: Why do you say that, Mrs. Becker? Now, years
4: ago, Charlie was sweet on Paul's sister. On the way back from the beach one night, there was an accident, and Paul's sister was killed. Never forgave Charlie. Always held him to blame. Well,
1: why was that, Miss Becker?
4: Charlie was driving. Paul hated Charles for it. Now, the thing with the daughter. Paul didn't like that either. Somebody did something to Charlie. You routine the man next door. You talk to Paul West. Now, get out of here. I want to get some sleep. If you've got any more questions, you come back in the morning, and I'll talk to you then. You get out of here now.
1: Yes, ma'am. But what did you mean, the thing with her, West's daughter?
4: All right. I'll tell you that. Then you've got to get out of here.
1: Yes, ma'am.
4: A couple of months ago, Paula came home, divorced her husband, and moved home. Right away, Charlie got sweet on her. Paul didn't like it. Didn't like it at all.
1: Did you ever say anything to stall about
4: it? You bet he did. They had a lot of arguments, a lot of them. You talk to Paul West, he's the one you got to talk to. Now, good night.
1: We'll be back in the morning, ma'am.
4: I'll be here, don't worry. I'll talk to you then.
3: I'm going fishing tomorrow. They're getting pinheads now.
1: There's a new one, huh? West's daughter. Yeah, better check it out. Hold it a minute. Huh? Let's take a look back at the carport here. There it is, a Texas license plate. Yeah. I'll check the motor. How about it? Radiator's warm. How about the wheels? Three Goodrich tires and a truck tire.
0: You are listening to Dragnet, the authentic story of your police force in action. Years ahead of them all. Chesterfield is years ahead of all cigarettes. Chesterfield quality is highest. Here's the proof. Recent chemical analyses give an index of good quality for the country's six leading cigarette brands. The index of good quality table, which is a ratio of high sugar to low nicotine, shows Chesterfield quality highest. Chesterfield quality highest. 15% higher than its nearest competitor. Chesterfield quality highest. 31% 31% higher than the average of the five other leading brands. Don't you want to try a cigarette with a record like this? Chesterfield. First with premium quality and best for you. Try Chesterfield today. Regular or king size. <laughs>
1: The information we'd gotten from the crime lab gave us the make of the tires that had left the imprints in back of the victim's house. Three of the tires had been identified as being of Goodrich make. The fourth was a truck tire. The car we'd found in the carport of cabin number eight had tires that matched the description. 1.26 a.m., we went back to talk to Margaret Becker.
4: I'd like to know just what this is all about. Why you're snooping around asking questions. Now, why don't you come right on out with it? Come on, you think I had something to do with Charlie being dead, isn't that it?
1: No, ma'am, we told you before, this is just a routine investigation, we're trying to get the facts here.
4: You still haven't told us about Charlie? Was he killed? Yes, ma'am. You think I did it?
1: We didn't say that.
4: Not in so many words you didn't, but that's what you meant. You found the will. That's what made you think it was me, isn't that it?
1: You knew about the will, didn't you?
4: Certainly I knew about it. Charles told me when he had it drawn up. Said he didn't have anybody else who wanted to see that me and the boys were taken care of.
3: Too bad about Charlie Stahl. He's a good boy. He's going to take care of Margaret.
1: He ever say anything to you about changing the will?
4: Yes. Told me about it the last time I saw him. Had lunch together and he told me then.
1: Tell you what changes he was going to make?
4: No, not right. I didn't have to. I knew. I could tell. Way he's been acting lately. I could tell.
1: So could I. what do you mean the way he's been acting? Was there anything wrong?
4: Well, this thing with Paula. Told you about that. Charlie's been acting like a fool, falling all over gushing sweet talk. Silly. Mm-hmm. Well, she had him in a trance. Her just 25 and him 55. Talk about spring and winter. Well, that was them.
1: How'd Paula feel about this?
4: How'd you expect her to feel? She thought that Charlie'd leave her the money, house, everything. She went right along with it, real brazen.
1: Sir? Yeah? You said earlier that you thought your daughter and Mr. Stahl might get married. Is that right?
3: You better did. They always been in love. Daddy, that's not true. Well, it is true. I'm your father. Now, you, you show a little respect. After that no-good Becca walked out on Maggie, she and Charlie started to see each other again. Went real nice. Then Paula come into town and Charlie Stahl took up with her. Mm -hmm. Charlie Stahl made out his will so that everything went to Margaret and the kids. Then he decided he'd change it.
0: You knew about the will, too,
3: huh? Sure. I was a friend of Charlie's. We used to go fishing all the time. Talk about things. I told him that he was wrong to even think of changing his will. Uh, I told him that he was wrong.
1: What time did you say that car from Texas got in, ma'am?
4: I told you, about 10.15.
1: Well, ma'am, is it possible that somebody could have taken the car out without you knowing about it? Hey, wait a minute, Margaret. That ain't
3: right. What? It wasn't that late. It was only about 8 when he come in. I remember, because I was in bed at 8.30. I put him to bed and then come back and went to bed myself. I wanted to get some sleep, going fishing in the morning.
1: You pretty sure about the time, are you? Well, you
3: bet. I remember, because I got in bed and turned on the radio. Listen to that uh, radio program about the detective asleep before the end, never did find out who stole the jewels and did the murder. What was your daughter doing when you came back? Just sitting there. She went out to put the car away and I went to bed. Mm-hmm. How long was she outside? I don't know. A few minutes, I guess. Can you tell us a little closer than that?
1: Not very well. I told you I went to sleep. I didn't hear her come in. Miss Becker, I wonder if you'd get dressed, please. We'd like to talk to you downtown. What for? Well, we have a report from our crime lab. They found some tire tracks in back of Stahl's house tonight. They were fresh tracks. They'd been made since it stopped raining. Those tracks match the car you got parked back there.
4: And you think I drove the car over to Charlie's?
1: Well, we'd like to talk about it.
4: Why? Why'd I do a thing like that? Why'd I want to kill Charlie?
1: Maybe because he was going to cut you out of his will. Looks like a pretty good motive. Oh,
4: you two are out of your minds. All right,
1: ma'am. We'll lay it out for you.
4: You better do that. Making accusations you can't back up.
1: The way the evidence looks, we got a pretty good case here. The way it looks, you took the car and you drove it over to Stalls. He was next door playing cards, so you waited in the kitchen for him to come back. A couple of times, you coughed while you were waiting. He heard you. He came over to the window to see who it was. Because it was dark, he couldn't see you.
4: I haven't heard a story like that since I stopped reading fairy tales. He
1: came home and you killed him. Then you heard Mr. West next door. He came over to see what it was. You went out the back way to the car that you'd parked in the alley. And you drove it back here.
3: That's the way it looks to you, is it?
1: Yes, ma'am, that's the way it looks.
3: You figure she killed Charlie Stoll?
1: Yes, sir. You're going to
3: arrest Margaret?
1: We want to talk to her about it.
3: Oh, going to take her down to jail, huh?
1: Yes, sir. Mm Mm-hmm, well. I'll go and put my clothes on. Oh, no, that isn't necessary for you to go with her,
3: sir. Well, she's not going. What? I killed Charlie Stahl. Daddy. You killed him? Yep. Got tired of how I was treating Mark. Got good and tired. Him talking about how he was going to change the will. I couldn't let him do that. I just killed him and drove the car
1: over and did it. What time was all this? Huh? What time did you go over to Stalls?
3: Right after the fellow from Texas. I guess it was about nine.
1: What time did you kill him?
3: Oh, it must have been 10.30 or so. I had to wait for him to get through playing cards. I had to wait for him to come home.
4: Why are you doing this, Daddy?
3: Why am I doing it? I said somebody's got to take care of the kids. Somebody's got to take care of you. I'm an old man. I ain't much use to anybody. All right. Come on, Miss Becker. You want to get dressed now? She ain't the one. I did it. I killed Charlie Stahl. I already confessed. Why don't you believe me?
1: Why don't you arrest me now? I did it. No, I'm afraid not. You got the times a little mixed up. Stahl wasn't killed at 10.30.
4: No, he's just trying to help me, but he doesn't have to. Him and me were both here all night. Neither one of us left. I was in bed and asleep at midnight.
1: Why do you say that? What? Why do you think Stahl was killed around midnight?
4: I didn't say that.
1: He said that you were home and in bed by midnight, didn't
4: he? Just a figure speak. I think I've talked enough to you. I don't have to say anything more. I'm going to see a lawyer about it. You got no right. I'm the one that did it. I'm the one.
1: Why'd you kill him, Mrs. Becker? You want to tell us? Get old nobody believes you. How about it, Miss Becker?
4: I'll get dressed.
1: You did kill him then, huh?
4: Yes, I did it. It Wasn't because of the money, though. You got to believe that. Wasn't because of the money. Yeah. I loved him. Deep in my heart, I loved him. Always did, even when we were kids. I thought he was going to marry me. Then he met Paula.
3: You shouldn't have done it, Margaret.
4: I loved him and he didn't want me. He wanted Paula. You know what that's like? What's that? Love somebody and them not want you? Begins to eat at you. Pretty soon you can't stand it anymore. That's why I did it. Not for the money, you understand. I just wanted him. Yeah? Just him. That's all I wanted. Not his money. You believe that? I never wanted his money. I just wanted him. You believe that?
1: Well, it really doesn't make any difference, does it? How do you mean? You didn't get either one.
0: The story you have just heard is true. The names were changed to protect the innocent. On August 6th, trial was held in Department 89, Superior Court of the State of California, in and for the County of Los
1: Angeles. In a moment, the results of that trial. Now, here is our star, Jack Webb. Thank you, George Fenneman. Friends, all of us on Dragnet are proud to be associated with Chesterfield, because believe me, Chesterfield is years ahead of all cigarettes. You just can't beat a cigarette that was good to begin with and keeps getting better all the time. But of course, you can't find out how much you'll like them till you try them, so that's what we'd like you to do. Get a carton of Chesterfields, regular or king size. That's all it takes. I know you'll agree that Chesterfield is best for you. <laughs>
0: Margaret Alice Becker was tried and convicted of murder in the first degree. She was sentenced to life imprisonment on the California Institute for Women, Corona, California. Further investigation proved that the suspect's father, John Samuel Woodbridge, was not implicated in the murder. He was not held. Dragnet, a series of authentic cases from official files. Technical advice comes from the office of Chief of Police W.H. Parker, Los Angeles Police Department. Technical advisors, Captain Jack Donahoe, Sergeant Marty Wynn, Sergeant Vance Brasher. Heard tonight were Ben Alexander, Vic Rodman, Helen Klebe, Ralph Moody. Script by John Robinson. Music by Walter Schumann. Hal Gibney speaking. For a million laughs, tune in Chesterfield's Martin and Lewis show, Tuesday on this same NBC station. And sound off for Chesterfield's. Either regular or king size, you'll find premium quality Chesterfield's much milder. Chesterfield is best for you. Chesterfield has brought you Dragnet transcribed from Los Angeles. Have you tried new cork-tipped Fatima? It's the smooth smoke. Here's why. New Fatima tips of perfect cork. King size for longer filtering. And Fatima quality for a much better flavor and aroma. Remember, Fatima has the tip for your lips. Try new Fatima. See how smooth it is. Fatima is made by the makers of Chesterfield. Liggett and Myers, one of tobacco's most respected names. (laughs) BAM <laughs> BAM